you move yourself forward with the acceptance that this is heavy and this is hard and you find your strength sometimes when you don't think you can anymore and it's made us who we are it's made our relationship the way it is and as strong as it is and able to withstand I think the really tough storms that that come because at, at some point in time everybody's life has that Hi, we are Colleen and Colleen, and we have made it our mission to spread kindness and make everyone feel like they belong. So each week we will share real life stories, motivating insights, and helpful tips that will inspire you to live a kinder, happier life. We believe that together we can make the world a much better place. Are you in? I'm in. Let's do this. Welcome to the You Fit Here podcast. Hi, everybody. It's CB, and welcome back to You Fit Here. Hi, guys. I'm here, too. CS. <laughs> She's here, too. <laughs> and today we have our, like, longtime virtual friend with us who we met way back when we were still Mama Said Tees and needed people to represent our brand, and we've watched her family grow into four kids and a cow, which... We are discussing later because it's like the highlight of my week scene. Three cows. Three cows. Oh my gosh. Oh, CB. Yeah. I need to go visit you ASAP. You need to show Lindsay your your kitchen art. My ki- oh yeah. I have a giant cow on my wall. It's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so anyways, she has shared her journey of her life with all of us and her followers And to say we don't even know where to begin is like an understatement. Lindsay has been on a roller coaster ride of life, and we have watched her take every twist and turn and then come out on the other side and, you know, bring us all along into it with her vulnerability and strength and just everything. So we had to get her on here to inspire you. Uh, So welcome, Lindsay. Hi. Thank you so, so much for having me. When I was telling my mom that I was coming on here to talk with you guys. It was like, she even said, they are like the longest brand that you guys have, that you have been loving and sharing. And so it really is an honor to be here with you girls. Oh, well, we feel like we know you when we do our, our holiday Martin, Indiana, is it your aunt who comes to visit us? Yes. (laughs) We've met. Yeah. Your aunt, because she lives kind of nearby. And so we feel like we've not just virtually been friends, but right. Yes, there will Someday be a day I'm when gonna we come actually visit. give hugs. Yes, yes. And I'm going to go visit those cows for sure. I mean, the cows are a definite lure to get me to Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime we go. Oh, there's a lot. Ohio is a gem of a state, let me tell you. it's There's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a lot going on. Uh, okay, so Lindsay, I guess tell us a little bit about yourself in your own words before – the roller coaster ride of your life the last couple of years, but just about you and your life and your family. Yeah. So we live um, just outside Dayton, Ohio, and my husband and I, Zach, got married. Um, we're coming up on 10 years this year, and he is total farm boy country um, all around, but he teaches for a day job, high school math. And um, that was kind of how we met. And I'm from the suburbs of Ohio, and we kind of flip-flopped because at that time I was teaching out where he grew up, and he was teaching out where I grew up, which is kind of fun. Um, but we met, and he told me on our very first date that we would that he would never move out of the country, or yeah, the like country cow life. Um, he actually grew up on an ostrich farm, which is <laughs> hilarious to me. But um, oh, wow. I yeah, right. 
there's some big old eggs on the, on that place. But uh, I thought he I would be able to change his mind and that we'd be living in the suburbs. And here we are on 20 acres. And it's actually I've uh, come to really love now that we have kids and, um, you know, we're living on kind of our dream property with a big old white farmhouse and a pond and woods and all of that. It's it's really um we're really blessed to have found that. So gosh, I was a teacher in my former life. It turned behavior analyst through uh, my master's degree and primarily worked with kids um, with autism. And then we'll talk about all of the roller coaster leading into parenthood, I'm sure. But um, once we finally had our um, twins, I went back to work for about six months and called it quits so that I could really just be a stay-at-home mom, which is always been my dream. And, um, so yeah, so here we are four babes later and, uh, life is crazier than ever. It would be like my personal dream to be on 20 acres in a farmhouse and have this life. I always am like, I just want a simpler, like I grew up in Wisconsin around farms and I just thought like, I would love that life like just yeah. simple cornfields were in my backyard. We played like tag at night in the cornfields, which is really creepy yeah. in retrospect. <laughs> I probably would never do it again. But as a kid, like yeah. I just love that. And nothing about city and hustle and bustle was appealing to me. I just right. wanted animals and space. <laughs> and it's so funny because I did not want that at all. Like it was, it that was so foreign to me and I'm so used to the busy and the hustle and right. really last year was when I really came to appreciate that simple life and watching my kids be, you know, naked running around in the, in the fields and they go on adventures in the Creek. And I mean, it's just, it really is a childhood dream. And now that I have come to appreciate it, we're, you know, planning our big old garden for this summer and, cows and it's just it really there is something to be said for that simple life that you know it's I don't know it has grown on me and now I like think everybody should have it and I'm ready to just fully live off of our land and that's kind of where we're heading yeah wow I think people are craving that too after the pandemic because it's like once you realize stuff shuts down and you rely on so much stuff, it's like, no, I want my own controlled space where like yeah. I can have food, I can grow food, I can live how I want to live right. and not be stuck in an apartment in the city because nothing's open and there's no food at the grocery store. Like, right. I think people are definitely waking up to like, maybe we need to go back a little bit to yep. simpler things. Yep. Yep. I am here for it. And I'm excited to, it's such a learning process though, because I have never had cows and here I am throwing gender reveal parties for them. And my husband's like, people don't do this, Lindsay. I'm like, oh yeah. Oh, I do. They do now. <laughs> and it was literally the best thing on my Instagram feed that oh, I man. saw in probably the last however long. I was like, stop it right now. This, I, I need to see the cow. I need it to go visit the cow. Yep. Oh my gosh. Awesome. Okay. Well, we love Zach for so many reasons that we will get into, but when you guys decided to become parents, tell us a little bit about that journey. Yeah. So we want, I mean, I have always wanted 
well, back up to our first date, we sat there on our first date talking about um, the families that we each wanted to build. And we have both said that we wanted four kids and we were really in love with this, you know, big family thought process. And even though we both only had one sibling um, and I walked out of that date and was like, I'm going to marry that guy. And, um, you know, obviously I did. So shortly after we got married, we wanted to start building our family. So we got pregnant and it was pretty easy. I was pregnant with my sister and we, our due dates were not too far apart and we announced to our family and, you know, we were just really excited for how easy all of that was. And, uh, shortly thereafter we had told our families, we then learned that I was actually having a miscarriage and it was tough, right? I mean, it's that loss is, is really hard. And, So, um, you know, we went through that process and there was a grieving process with that. And, you know, we are very firm believers that God uses things for good, even though sometimes most of the time in that moment, it doesn't feel good and it's hard to see why. Um, And I'm not sure I'll ever really understand a lot of what we've been through. I think that's kind of top on my list of things that someday I want to ask what the bigger plan is and all of this. But you know, our miscarriage essentially led to just something not feeling right. And so we started talking about maybe we wanted to start figuring out what was going on. And we had gotten a lot of pushback from our family, not because they didn't want us to build our family, but it seemed like we had gotten pregnant very easily on our own. And so why would we go that route? But at the end of the day, something just fell off. And so we met with a reproductive endocrinologist and we got some information from on my end that it was kind of in this um, unknown infertility, undiagnosed um, infertility for me. Um, and it really had to do with me not ovulating right and having good quality eggs. But there was still this mystery piece with Zach. And so they were really good about, let's just get this off the table, make sure Zach's good on that end. um, And then we can really focus on you. And so he went through testing and I will never forget the call when the doctor called and was like, Hey, um, has Zach had a vasectomy? And I was like, uh, no. And Zach's standing there on speaker with me and I'm looking at him like, I know he hasn't, but then the doctor questions it. And I was like, wait a second you haven't, right? And he's like, no. And so, you know, the doctor was like, well, there's no sperm. And so, you know, we started down his route and started going to a male infertility specialist. And so basically pretty quickly, they found out that um, he had this ginormous tumor and was diagnosed pretty quickly with testicular cancer. And it was the strangest process because everything went so quickly and he had surgery to remove it. And they wound up leaving one testicle so that in theory, we may be able to have kids. Um, But after he healed, you know, he was from a statistical standpoint, testicular cancer is really kind of one of those, it's it's known for the young man's disease and it can really be a really scary experience, especially with how big his tumor was. And so we were anticipating it have 
being spread throughout his body and massive surgeries and chemo and radiation and all of that. And so it took some time for pathology to come back. And his his doctor finally called and said, and I could tell there were he was emotional about it. And he was like, he beat cancer's ass. And it was like hearing the doctor say that, um, he said there's less than 3% of patients he sees that that beat it with surgery. And so he wasn't going to need chemo. He didn't need radiation. And so there was really hope from the fertility end that we may be able to grow our family, you know, the way we wanted to, um, or had originally planned, I guess. And so after he healed, we, he went through more testing and and we basically went through the, that trial period of if sperm is going to come back, it will, and it didn't. And so we're not really sure what came first, the cancer or or the no sperm, but because we had gotten pregnant on our own, you know, the thought process is that probably the cancer came first, which caused zero sperm. So, you know, we had that appointment that they said, you guys won't be able to have children on your own. There are many ways to build a family and we went through all of that, but, you know, it's not going to happen with you guys. So we started the um, process to become adoption ready and went through all of those classes and and felt like that was maybe in our plan. And so we did, we went through all of that and it still felt like, you know, we were kind of being called to, to a different path. So we finished all of those courses, but we ultimately decided that we wanted to use a donor, um, use a sperm donor to, help us build our family and which was really how we kind of landed in this blogging space is uh, because that journey was extremely isolating. You know, everybody's, everybody rallies around cancer and everybody rallies around infertility and miscarriage, but alternative family planning is kind of one of these taboo topics that, that just isn't normalized. It's, it's, I think sometimes talking about sex, talking about family building, all of that comes with a lot of hurt. And then to do it in some ways that aren't necessarily traditional is is tough. And so in the state of Ohio, they require you to meet with a counselor if you do use a donor. Um, and there's a lot of legal aspects that um, I hadn't even really thought about, but that comes into play too. So um, we met with the counselor and we were pretty confident in our decision to move forward with this. And so we sat on the couch one night with a beer and a glass of wine and chose who we wanted, you know, the genetic father of um, our kids to be, which is a weird experience. You know, it's you're shopping for some DNA. And so we chose somebody who on, on paper looked just like Zach. And um, it was really weird because then we, you know, we finally bought our, the final two contenders that we had for that. We bought their pictures and it looks just like Zach too, which is just, you know, it's, it's a weird thing, but it's one of those that we felt like God had his, his hand in it. And, and so we bought those vials. I went and picked up the sperm up in Columbus, uh, which isn't too far away. And <sighs> Uh, drove home with this ginormous like robot spaceship looking thing, buckled him into the car and uh, drove him home to, to our clinic, which was just hilarious. But there it is. So uh, we got, we st- 
we started with all of that. It's we found some humor in all of it, and we so we started going through with our fertility clinic, and really just the plan was to just do IUIs with some level one medicine, but um, our first cycle failed and didn't work, and then our second cycle failed and didn't work. And you know, you guys said you love Zach, and it's so funny because people it's so easy to pick up his personality and his heart very easily. But for a guy to go through all of this, it's for him to be able to keep his humor. And, you know, now looking back now where he's at now, looking at these babies as his own kids and he doesn't have a second thought about that, but throughout this whole process, he's, he's just the eternal optimist. And so uh, we're sitting there for my first IUI and, you know, I'm half naked and waiting in this sterile room and the Zach's sitting there and he's, you know, trying to crack jokes about getting knocked up, you know, with our doctor and all of these things. And so he's like, you want to hear something funny? And so I said, yeah, I said, yeah. And so the moment the doctor walked in, Zach starts playing Marvin Gaye and the doctor's like, he walks in, he walks in and it's like, let's get on. And, and the doctor's like, uh. and so ridiculous. Like that's just who Zach is. And so he is, he's an incredible. So anyway, so after our first two cycles had failed, you know, we were kind of luck stuck with, we have one vial of sperm left and we want kids at the end of this. And so, um, we switched to some IVF medicine for me and wound up with four good, healthy eggs. Um, and so we had a choice to make that this could wind up with four babies. And if those multiply, it could be eight or we cancel this cycle. And so what do we do? And we prayed about it and said, let's go for it. So by the time we um, did our insemination, one of the eggs had died off um, or just didn't come to uh, the, the right stage. So we had three. And so we went with it and wound up with twins, which is amazing. Thankfully, they did not split. So we have two fraternal twins, um, Lila and Piper. And that was kind of the start of our parenthood journey. So really quickly to wrap up the the parenthood thing, they were born at 31 weeks and, you know, it was, it, that was a roller coaster in and of itself. And with all of that, we have, they're very healthy now and happy, um, but Piper has cerebral palsy, um, which has jumped us into the parenthood of, of kids with special needs. And then about 18 months later, we decided we wanted to do this whole thing again. And we luckily got the same vial or the same donor was still available. And so we got three more vials of sperm just in case it took us three more turns. And we actually got pregnant on our first time um, with Miller. And so he's our little boy. So the twins are five and a half now. Miller is three and a half and his pregnancy was thankfully very boring and his uh, delivery was for the most part boring. So then we were stuck and we had two vials left and 
decided 18 months later we wanted to do it again. And so um, Little Maisley Girl is, uh, she is turning two here in, gosh, five days. So she's uh, the little caboose to our family. And that is our family in a nutshell. <laughs> it's, yes. Oh my gosh. It was. I don't even think I was aware of Zach's story. Uh-uh. Yeah, I wasn't either. And I was also thinking like, gosh, on top of it just being hard enough, the struggles with infertility, it's like all the romance. Like, where's the romance? And then you told that story and I just got goosebumps all over. Like, I love that man. He's, I know. He is a gem. And for him to be so selfless, I mean, it, you know, it takes, and I can say this, I can say this now that I've had all of my health things and, you know, my hysterectomy, but having part of you that makes you who you are being taken away, it plays with your head a little bit. And, you know, for, for men, it's like, that's who Zach, that's talking about it. Yeah. yeah, It's part of who he is. And he's like a manly man, you know, and, and for him to be so selfless to let me experience motherhood the way he did. And there's, and there's no right or wrong way to do that. Right. Like people go through this and at the end of the day say, we want to adopt. And that's amazing. And you know, there's, there is no right or wrong, wrong way to, to become parents. And we feel very passionate about that, but you know, that was the way we chose to do it. And we've built such a community around that, that we've talked to people across the world who have, you know, are on this, on this journey of becoming parents. And what does it look like to choose a donor? And, you know, how does that feel? And does he actually feel like their dad? And, you know, those are all really good questions and things that he had to wrestle with because we know that at some point our kids are going to be really hormonal teenagers. Right. And, you know, as a teenager, when I go went through it. My dad was my biological dad. And I still threw that in his face at some point, you know, it was like, are you going to be able to handle that when at some point they say, you know, they utter those words that you're not my dad and I'm sure it's going to come out. I certainly hope it never does, but you know, we had to be so grounded in who we were and, and felt so confident in our decision that, you know, genetics doesn't make up your, your, um, parenthood. It doesn't decide who their real dad is and they don't know any different. And there's a little bit that is so poetic almost about that. He chose them, right? He had the choice to be their dad or not. And he chose them. And each one of our kids were so prayerfully wanted and desired and created. And it, you know, it's funny now we walk through the grocery store and when all of us are together, it's, people are constantly like, oh yeah, she looks like you and he looks like you. And, and it's easy for us to forget that we even went through that because they do, they look like him. They, you know, I certainly can't deny any of them, but especially when we're all together, it's like, it's really cool to see how God just weaved all of this together to where most of the time we just don't even think about it. And that it's a really cool a really cool, I think, story that hopefully our kids own someday and are are proud of mm-hmm. that. I think that's, you know, ultimately what, what we want them to know is, you know, who their who their true identity is. And 
so yeah, it's it's been it was just kind of the start of God like planting the seed of challenges in our life that, you know, we're not going to know the answers, but seeing how amazing that story can be and how impactful it can be for for other people, I think you know, I think my heart first fell in love with you guys and Mama Said Tease with the I Am Normal campaign that you guys did. And I had, you know, just cried and cried and cried when I submitted that email to you guys that, you know, we've been through infertility, we had a miscarriage, we used a donor. And you know what? This is freaking normal. And my kids are are gonna know this and, you know, let's just change the stigma around what infertility and this normal thing looks like. And so it, I don't know, it was my heart for you guys just grew and grew and grew. And I think it helped me to really be open about, about everything we've been through. And every time I questioned whether we would share our story again and, you know, cause you get people who don't, who aren't supportive or, you know, think that it should be private. And not that it shouldn't be. I think there are some people who um, don't feel comfortable sharing it and that's great and that's perfectly fine. But I also think that there's something to be said for, you know, that it's okay to hurt and it's okay. I am so looking forward to holding that baby that we lost in our arms someday. And, you know, but I, but I also am, am thankful that I have a husband today because through all of that, that maybe we wouldn't have known that he had cancer had we not lost that baby. And, you know, I'm not saying I wanted it, but it's just a, a intricate pattern of grief for good and, and navigating all of that. So. I love that you're, you choose to talk about it. And I agree that people, there's no wrong way to handle things, but like you said, in that alternative, like donor and all this other stuff, it was isolating and even more so for a man, I think, because women like it's a little more regular to talk about mm-hmm. it. And especially now people come out and talk about miscarriages a little bit more and stuff like that. But men don't really have that outlet with other guys and right. especially feeling like now you don't have any other man to relate to right. potentially who has been in this position and, all those things that go through your head, which is why we need to change the fact that men shouldn't be able to express emotions and talk about things because they need to, they are human. Right. And that you guys went through that together is just beautiful. And how he has somehow found a way to process all of that and still make you smile and laugh during, you know, your appointments. And I always think like DNA doesn't make a parent, you know, It might be biological, but that's not who's there being your actual parent. You know, that's not your mom and dad. I mean, all different scenarios, but in your instance, obviously, yeah, Yeah. he is their dad. And I think it's beautiful. And I love that they will have that beautiful story. It's literally like this, like you said, poetic, like novel that they will learn and get to share and like how beautiful the amount of effort and energy and prayer went into creating them. Right. It wasn't just like a oopsie baby, like, Oh, that just happened. You know, it was, no, we wanted you and we did everything we could to have you. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, hopefully that just, 
when we were going through it, the only people that we um, were able to talk and learn from were were couples who are gay and they were some of our best friends and who walked us through all of that. And they were phenomenal and showed us the roads and the ropes and all of that. And I'm not discounting their journey or anything like that, but it is hard for a man and it's different. And, you know, to be told you're not able to have kids is, is gosh, it's just, it rocks who you are as, as a person when that's something you want. And, you know, I'm, I'm still doing work in the infertility world because it's something that I, it just changed our lives. And I'm so proud of Zach for speaking up and letting us share his story and for him to, you know, be okay with me coming on and sharing our life on a, on a daily basis. And he's so gracious and hops on, you know, lives with us and answers questions and, and is super open about it. And especially with his role as a teacher, it's like, you know, what, what is acceptable, what's not acceptable. And, you know, so much of it just comes down to this stigma that, you know, it's, it's okay to, to hurt. It's okay to, you know, fall down and pick yourself up. And, you know, we just had this, we finally had to have this 24 hour rule because it was like, we just kept getting slammed from things, right. It was like cancer and then you can't have kids. And, you know, it, it really now has served us well throughout the years, but um, we had this 24 hour rule that it was like, okay, all of those feelings are real. And it's, if you just push them down and act like they don't exist, it will eat away at you and you wind up becoming hateful and angry. And, you know, our marriage, we've seen marriages fall apart due to infertility or loss or, or, you know, all of those things, which is, you know, which is just so heartbreaking. And, it, we, we made the decision that we wanted to get out from all of this on the other side. And so we created this 24 hour rule that, you know, you got 24 hours to feel everything, to be mad and cry and sad and throw yourself this big old pity party, you know, whatever you need to do, but then you get 24 hours and then it's time to put one foot in front of the other. And it doesn't erase everything. It's not like then you're happy and you have to put on this false smile, but you have to start taking steps forward, right? And because you can get lost in that grief. And, you know, we knew that we wanted to move forward. But gosh, if you've been in infertility, you know that there's a lot of heartbreak that comes with every test and with cycles that fail. And so, you know, you get the 24 hours and then you, and then you pick yourself up and you, you, you move yourself forward with the, acceptance of the, that this is heavy and this is hard. And, and you find your strength sometimes when you, when you don't think you can anymore. And, you know, I think there's, there's just this, I don't know, in hindsight, I certainly didn't find it beautiful at the time, but looking back at all of that, you know, having Zach sometimes literally pick my, pick me up and say, we can do this. And, and vice versa. There were times when he needed me to do it, but you know, it's made us who we are. It's made our relationship the way it is and as strong as it is and able to withstand, I think the, the really tough storms that, that come because at at some point in time, everybody's life has that, you know, and sometimes it's really hard to see. And, and I think that I've learned a lot about just being kind to people because you don't know what they're fighting behind those closed doors. And we learned a lot about that, but all of that to say, he is an incredible man. And, you know, I certainly uh, 
thank God for for his attitude and his heart and and now watching him as a as a father is pretty incredible. So Ugh, I love Zach. <laughs> I just want to meet Zach. And He's the cow. Awesome. I want to meet Zach. And the cow. <laughs> the cow. Three cows <laughs> calling. The three cows, I know. Um, yeah. and you, of course. So you mentioned that Piper, you found out she had cerebral palsy. When did you find out about that and how has that changed your guys' life? We found out, I mean, there were, we knew when she was a baby, she was born not breathing. And then, you know, she spent 28 days in in NICU and throughout that time, she had some pretty significant apneic events where she would stop breathing. And the, there was one time that uh, it she went quite some time without, without breathing and needed stimulation. And so there was always a possibility she was born premature and there were always signs that she was behind in her, specifically in her gross motor skills. So we got her involved in physical therapy at six months because she really wasn't meeting those milestones when she should. And she didn't, sit up when she should have. She didn't crawl when she should have, you know, and it was pretty easy for me to see because I had a, her twin sister who was, and so I was able to compare the two. Um, yeah. And that made it, that made it easier. And my, you know, background is in early childhood and, um, special education. So my, uh, heart for early intervention probably, you know, helped a lot with that because I had the knowledge to know where to access resources and what to do. And, um, so we got her in physical therapy and, you know, she really wouldn't bear weight on her legs, which was really an odd symptom to see in a, in a kid, she would cry, uh, and scream. She, it was painful for her to stand up. And so we got her in, uh, these teeny tiny little leg braces when she was about 12, 13 months old. And, um, it was at that time that she was starting to be able to bear weight on her, excuse me, legs and without screaming. And so once we got her braces, um, and her custom braces, that was really when she started being able to walk by herself, which was incredible and super exciting. And so even with walking though, she still would hold her hands in a fist when she crawled, she didn't hold her hands out flat. Her left side of her body was pretty rigid and it would have involuntary movements, not in a um, like twitching way, but when she was trying to move it, you could tell it just wasn't doing what it, what she wanted it to do. And so she's a tough cookie and full of so much sass that has really made her who she is and made her keep fighting and to keep up with her sister and to just be the best that she can be. But gosh, she was finally diagnosed with cerebral palsy about two years old. And uh, it was the start of, you know, it, it was one of those that, like, you know, it's coming. I knew that it was a possibility and I knew what it looks like. I know, I mean, I've had plenty of kids with that diagnosis and, and knows I know what it looks like. And as a special education teacher, I used to sit in these meetings with these parents and say, you know, it, a diagnosis, I don't care if you call them purple. I don't care if you call them, you know, I, it doesn't matter to me what the diagnosis is. 
what matters is that it's a really great starting point for getting them the help that they need, the treatments that they need, the therapies that they need. You know, that's what's important. It's try not to get so focused on, on the word autism, because all of these diagnoses hold such a stigma for, for parents and kids. And, you know, it's a, it's a tough road. And I've sat in countless meetings with these parents who feel defeated with having a child with special needs and the, the struggles that come with that doctor's appointments and therapies and medication and stigma alone and then school and IEPs. And I mean, it's just, it's a tough road. And as a professional, you know, my goal was, was to get these kids to where they, where their goals were, where their parents' goals were to make sure that they are functioning and developing and, and to the best of their ability and happy and healthy and all of those things that I, it was hard to turn that brain off. And then when it was my kid that was diagnosed, Mm -hmm. that was hard and it rocked our world. Just hearing those words. And she's, for all things considered, she has an extremely mild case of cerebral palsy. She still wears a brace on her leg and she has a knee brace because she hyperextends. She's a part-time wheelchair user. But all things considered, you know, her cognition is is developing normal. Her speech is far above where it should be. And so, you know, from that standpoint, we certainly are counting our blessings that it, it could have been a lot, a lot worse and it only affects the left side of her body. But she also has a dual diagnosis with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which makes her extremely hypermobile um, and that affects her whole body. So, you know, she's Piper has taught me a lot about parenthood and grace and uh, patience. And like I said, she is a firecracker and sassy as can be. And she actually just learned how to ride a two-wheel bike last week, which was like a huge milestone for her. And gosh, it was it was like a hooray party moment because she wanted nothing more. She's getting to that age now where she knows that she's falling behind. She knows that when they are in a race, she falls five times, you know, before she reaches the finish line. And so all of that is really starting to make her question herself. And, um, you know, so we're having these hard conversations about what is cerebral palsy and, and why am I different and what does that mean? And, you know, so it's allowed us to, to, from a, from a parent standpoint, it's allowed us to open the doors to what is different and what is, how does God create all of us? And what does that mean for kids in wheelchairs or, I mean, gosh, you guys know living one-handed. He's amazing um, over on Instagram and uh, he reached out and he's taught us a lot. And, you know, it's just opened our doors to being different is okay. And that's, that's a good thing, right? God created you like this and he could have prevented your stroke. So we wound up finding out through that process that she had a stroke early on and that's what caused her cerebral palsy. And um, funny how the, that came full circle here this last year. But I mean, we've talked a lot about God could have, God could have prevented that, right? But he allowed it to happen. And why, (laughs) why did he allow that to happen? Why, 
you know, why am I slower than everybody else? Why does, why do I fall so often when nobody else does? And, you know, it's, it's made us wrestle and every single time, you know, from my standpoint, every single time I get a mom reach out on, on Instagram and say, Hey, you know, I saw that Piper has a wheelchair. Can you tell me more about it? Or, Hey, my kid just got diagnosed with cerebral palsy. Where the heck do I go from here? And, you know, I'm able to offer some support to moms, you know, that makes my heart fill up and know that, you know, that it's being used for good. But ultimately the most incredible thing is when we see a kiddo out in public who is in a wheelchair or has braces or, you know, you can tell us having a tough time, either having a tantrum or transitioning, whatever that is, seeing Piper go up to these kids and say, hey, I have a blue wheelchair too. Or, hey, you want to check out my Batman brace? It is like, I mean, it it never fails that I wind up just in a puddle of tears watching my baby go out. And I know that she's making such a difference in this world. And seeing her um, have some validation in who she is, even though she thinks of him as being, you know, imperfect, seeing her use that for good is just, it's not ever something I wish would happen, but we're here and there's no going back on that. So seeing her use that and show people love and acceptance is Gosh, it's just the most incredible thing. And so to be able to have conversations that, you know, being different, everybody's different. Every everybody, you know, has has hard days and it just is is a really cool discussion that, you know, it's forced us to have in our house. But by golly, we are gonna raise kids who love people <laughs> and invite other kids to their table. It just is it, I, we're determined to make it worth something. And so it's, it's cool to see our kids have that same attitude towards life and, and other human beings, which is, which is pretty neat. So that's Piper. Wow. I know this is the beauty of social media, I think, yeah. and technology, because I know all of it has its downsides, of course, in this world, but sure. it is giving such a space and a community for people who are going through experiences to connect. Like you said, living one-handed, that's Ryan Hack. Scroll back a bunch of episodes. We interviewed him. He's amazing. But building that community that you otherwise might not have to be like, dang, I'm not alone. And this thing that is like a storm in my life today mm-hmm. is going to be this beautiful guidebook for someone else tomorrow. And therefore, I am so of value and grateful for what we went through because it's helping other people. It's just really wonderful that you choose to share with the world and our followers and your followers, because people need that. Like we need that connection to not feel alone when you're in these situations. Right. Yeah. And am I going to get through this? (laughs) Like, yeah, yeah. gosh, it's, it's so tough. I mean, that having a diagnosis when your baby is your baby, it is, it rocks you. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, really hear, hearing any, hearing the words from any sort of tragedy is it will rock your world. And sometimes you need that 
it doesn't take away your hurt, but it, it helps you to know that I'm going to get out of this and, you know, I'm going to, I will prevail. I will use this for good. I will, you know, we can do hard things. I can't tell you how many times I've said that in the last, gosh, five years, we can do hard things and, um, you know, but every day is not like that. And, you know, I have had plenty of days where I am needing someone to tell me that and remind me, you know, that, that I can, that we can do that and coming into, so Piper has a major leg surgery here in uh, a week and we're trying to prepare ourselves for what this is going to be like, cause it's going to change our world for, for a year. And, and so we're trying to prep Piper for what this surgery is going to be like without scaring her, but you know, she's going to wake up and not be able to walk for months. And so, you know, we're trying to go through all of this and, and, you know, we have it on repeat. I can do hard things and I am strong and I am loved and all of this, you know, positive self-talk that is, we're all going to need over the next couple of months. Um, and it's really going to put our, you know, it's going to have us put our money where our mouth is and, and, um, challenge us to really, not only handle it as adults, but also really handle it for, for our kiddo. So crazy stuff. Being, wow. Well, being, what is that surgery? What is it going to do? So right now her left leg, because of the spasticity that is in it, her femur is pretty much growing in a corkscrew. And so it makes her leg rotate in and she, she trips a lot over her foot and the spasticity in that, in that leg is, there are multiple factors, but basically what they're going to do is they'll cut her femur in half and then rotate it. I'm using my hands a lot. So they'll cut her femur in half and then rotate it out and then put a rod down her hip and femur um, and then screw it in to basically correct that rotation and and provide some more stability while her bone then heals in, in a better angle. So her rotation, she can, she can basically turn her entire leg fully backwards to where her heel is facing forward and her toe is facing backward. And um, it is, you know, there's pain, there's all of those things. And some of it's just hypermobility and, you know, it's kind of a running joke that she'll be in Cirque du Soleil someday, but it also, that causes a lot of havoc on your body when there's not stability to that. Um, and so, you know, eventually it will wreak havoc on her spine and her hips and her knees. And so we're really trying to not only make her more functional, but also trying to protect her body from hurting itself as she, as she develops. So she'll be in the, we'll be in the hospital with her for about a week and then, and then she'll come home and she'll be totally immobile for six weeks. And then we're hoping to, she'll be in her wheelchair then and non-weight bearing for I think three months. And then we'll start some really intense therapy where, you know, it'll be three days a week of intense physical therapy and, and hopefully then within six to nine months, she'll be walking and then at 12 months, then they'll go in and take the rod out, which is kind of a, a repeat surgery, but then hopefully it'll be stable for 
fingers crossed a long time. So, but it was a, you know, talk about parenthood and not, not feeling like you're sure of making the right decisions for your babies. It's like, holy moly. So we're trusting in the process and really uh, trying to hype up that movies and iPads and milkshakes and all of the things are going to be great. So, yep. Yeah. So we'll take all the positive thoughts on that one. We are going to send all of our positive thoughts, prayers, everything your way. And yeah, she is strong. You guys are all strong and vulnerable, which is almost even more important because you're showing that like, yeah, this is tough and this is really hard, but we can do hard things. So you guys, we are not even like halfway through Lindsay's story and we are going to have a part two to this episode next week. So in the meantime, go follow along with Lindsay at Fueling Mama Hood on Instagram and we will be back next week with the rest of her story. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you.